Hey, Brandon, how's it going? Pretty good show. How about you? I'm doing well. So, with the case of BTK, I found some pretty inf- interesting information. So, let's see here. So, Dennis Rader, he was born on March 9th, 1945, in Pittsburgh, Kansas. He grew up in Wichita. So, he was the oldest of four sons and enjoyed a seemingly normal childhood. He dropped out of college and joined the Air Force in the mid-1960s. After returning to Wichita, he married his wife, Paula, in 1971. He worked for an outdoor supply company for about a year. And then in 1974, he began a lengthy stunt of being an employee for ADT Security Services. Um, The only abnormal things I found out about him was that during his childhood, his mother found him hanging cats and dogs from trees, and he was obsessed with, like, killing animals, which I thought was really weird. Um, Yeah, yeah, that was basically the only thing that really happened. He had a normal childhood besides his obsession with killing dogs and cats. Yeah. So what did you find? Yeah, I also find he was a pretty normal child also. I mean, looking looking at the past, he was a uh, – he was a member of the Christ Lutheran Church and he even being elected president of the church council. And mm-hmm. he was also a Cub Scout leader when he was younger and he didn't have any like um, personality uh, disorders or anything like that. Yeah. So um, tell me a little bit more about like a case, like his first like serial killer, like well, who he killed and stuff like that. So what I found was he... Um... He went on a killing spree from 1974 all the way up to 1991, and um, he killed. He actually killed ten people, and they're all in the Wichita, Kansas area, over a span of about a little less than 20 years. So, first one, it was on January 15th, 1974, Wichita, Kansas. So he strangled to death four members of the Otero family in their Wichita home. He killed the parents, Joseph and Julie, and two of their children, Josephine and Joseph Jr. Before leaving with the watch and a radio, Raider struck again. Um, on April 4th, 1974, he waited in the apartment of a young woman named Catherine Bright. He'd been planning this murder out for probably two to three months, like trying to get a feel for the area and how he was going to attack. Before stabbing her and strangling her, he returned home. No one saw him that night, so there was no clues, no evidence, nothing like that to trace. Also, it was found that Raider shot her brother twice. His name was Kevin. He survived, but his sister did not. So that was that was um that was interesting. Yes, so his next killing. So he went on to kill Shirley Van on March 12, 1977, Wichita, Kansas. So what he did was he forced his way inside the home of 24-year-old Shirley Van's house. Um, He tied her up. He put a plastic bag over her head, and then he strangled her with a rope. For some reason, this was like – this occurred in most of his his murders. He would would tie his victim up and either strangle them or shoot them. And yes. that's how all of his victims were found, was either strangled or shot. But, yeah, yeah. He, he put a plastic bag over her head. 
and that's how she was found when the police arrived. So I found that found that really odd. Yeah, a lot of the uh, his like main method of operation, like he he had like what they called a hit kit, uh-huh. and it, it had, like ropes and tape and knives and like plastic bags and stuff, which were like commonly found at the scene. That's why you kept seeing like the ropes and like tape wrapped around the victims and stuff. Yeah, like he kept doing that because he knew he'd be credited for all the kills and yeah, the actual story for the killings and stuff. Yeah, that I think that's. That's very odd. That's why they called him, actually. That's why they called him BTK, because he would bind, torture, and kill all of his victims. So, Yeah. So, um, he also went on to kill Nancy Fox on December 26, 1977. So, on the way to work for his ADT job, the alarm company, he, uh, he called the local police department and said, you will find a home aside in 8843 South Pershing. Nancy Fox, that is correct. And he basically called in the murder. So when the police arrived, they came to the house, 843 South Pershing, and they found Nancy's body strangled to death. Um, They found Nancy with no clothes on and appeared to be the same pattern as the last one where she was tied up. So he, he had the same strategy going into every murder, which was really weird. Yeah. So the next one was, yeah, and it it also seems like he would always go for like single woman. Did yeah. you notice that? Yeah, he, uh, he he was mainly going for like single and like almost like like middle aged like to younger women. And towards the end, he started um, he went for he targeted older women and um, yeah. Oh, once he blinded them, he would like he, he he would tell the older ladies that he's about to like rape them and kill them just to cause them like a panic in their eyes, and that's what he like he almost like enjoyed like seeing how like disturbed and like and stressed they were about that. Yeah, that's what I found. He like he loved control and he loved torturing and he just he was obsessed with it. And he said in the interview like every time he committed one of these murders, it never got old to him. Yeah. So the next victim was um Marine Head Marin Hedge on April third, nineteen eighty five, Wichita. Um he targeted her, planned it out for about two months. She was uh fifty three years old. She lived just up the street from the Raider family, and he broke into her home and basically strangled her. Um he took her nude body to the Christ Lutheran Church where he posed her in various bondage positions and took photographs of her for hastily burying in her ditch. So this was one of the first events where he actually took photographs of the victims, which were later found. So I found that really weird why he would do that. But yeah. And then he also killed uh, Vicky Wajiri, September 22nd, 1986. Um, he broke into her small apartment, strangled her to death, took pictures of her, and left the scene. And he also wasn't seen at all on scene or didn't leave any apparent clues. But later on, they actually found with uh, Vicky that that he um, he had like traces of DNA under her fingernails. Yeah. Okay, so let's see the next one. So the last one of his killing was Dolores Davis on January 3rd, 1991. 
BTK killed Dolores Davis after plotting this attack for, I think it was four or five months, he said in an interview. This was his last murder and one of the most gruesome ones. He bonded her up with ropes and chains in her house, and he hung her from a noose in her own room. And this murder was, the, the police said in a report that this was like the most, the most gruesome murder that BTK had ever committed just because of like the things he did. So he really, he really went out with the bang on this one. Yeah, killing a woman in her own home is something pretty special you got to do there, you know? Yeah. He's a crazy man, dude. So, I think it's time for a sponsor break, Brandon. Yeah, I think so. Um, so, we'd like to give a big shout-out to our sources. Uh, first off, we have CBS 48 Hours. They gave us all the cases and information on the murders and the really some good details. Um, we also had Psychology Today, Inside the Mind of BTK. We really learned, like what he was thinking, why he did these kind of things, and, like, what were his motives through this website. We also had www.biography.com. This was really big on, like, giving us insight on his childhood, where he grew up, his backstory, all that kind of things. And then ABA Journal gave us, like, the details on, like, the hunt for BTK and basically, like, finding him, clues he left, stuff like that. Yeah. Say thank you to those guys and yeah. let's get back to it. So the um for the for the psychological testing he did actually undergo um a couple different ones, but the main one that stood out was by Robert Mendoza. He was a uh, Harvard graduate and he actually interviewed hundreds of serial killers in his time and he found that he may have a um defective thematis. I think mm-hmm. causing him to feel like almost no emotion whatsoever. That's really? why he's like normal people can like they they can hardly like watch movies of people dying, let alone like watch it in real life and bring harm to people. But yeah, he uh, he he didn't show any signs of like personality disorders, and he, he was he was pretty normal there. But um, once it comes to like once it came to like psychological and like, um, yeah, like psychological and like social issues. Like th- that's where he kind of stood out. Like he struggled in school, which almost like made him feel like more left out. Like, yeah. yeah. In the crowd of school. Yeah. I, I also found that he didn't have many friends. Like he was sort of an outcast and that could have been why he, why he did these kind of things, you know? Yeah, that is very true. And, um, uh, so for a for the criminal profile, he was he was kind of like a almost like an average man. He was five foot eleven, uh, Caucasian male, hundred ninety five pounds. No one really that kind of fits the profile of a serial killer. And um, he he was obviously Christian. He was a member of Christ Lutheran Church and mm-hmm. normal kid, normal like family life. And he just kind of blew up as he got older and started on a killing spree. Yeah, it's sad. Yeah, and we talked about his like method method of operation earlier. He had that hit kit of like the ropes, tapes, and knives and stuff like that. Yeah, and later on, he started leaving behind letters 
like he knew he'd be credited with all the kills. Like once he ended up being caught and he'd be able to like tell the story of the killings and stuff. And that that's how he chose the uh the name BTK. And yeah, it's it's pretty scary stuff there. Yeah, so is that is that all you found for that part? Yeah, that is. Okay, so um what so for the characteristics of a serial killer, I found a lot of things actually interesting. So, like most serial most serial killers are either like narcissists, um, like they want attention, they either have an obsession with something, childhood trauma, something like that. But with BTK, um, it was I found that he he was secretly like satisfying his sexual needs and delaying his compulsion to kill for months, even years at a time. By engaging in like fantasies, like until he needed to commit murders and became overwhelming again. Like, so he'd go through periods of time, like where he'd be okay after he committed a murder, and then he would like have a fantasy and like want to commit another one. So that would that's yeah. what would drive him every time. Um, yeah, yeah, the, 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 he did have a pretty long, um, long length of like his killing spree like he, he said from 1974 to 1991 that's when he killed 10 people and it's not really like a set like yeah set date that he did it he just kind of like did it when he felt the need to you know yeah he he also said he knew he was gonna get caught so like i don't even know why he continued to be honest but um yeah. so he sent a letter actually to the authorities where he asked how many do I have to kill before I get a name in the paper or some national recognition? This basically shows how much he like craved attention and how much of like a narcissist he had. Cause he was, he was fully aware of society's like fascination with like murder and all that. Like yeah. after seeing all the notoriety by other serial killers, like that they got after killing people. So he knew that like the public would be riveted by his crimes and would demand to know like why he was doing it, the story behind it, everything like that. And he just, he really wanted attention. So I think that's why, that's what was causing him to do it. Um, yeah. I remember watching, uh, watching one of the interviews. It was, it was actually from, uh, from Robert Mendoza. He interviewed him in prison. Mm -hmm. that they, uh, he, they they asked him how he reacted once he was found, and like he he almost had a smile on his face. Like he he just told everybody, he was like, "Yep, that was me." Like those were the those were the people that I killed, and I take a hundred percent like credit for all that. You know, he didn't even didn't even bat an eye. He was just almost proud of what he did. Yeah, that that goes back to like when I was saying like he's a narcissist because he re all he wanted was attention, I believe, because. What I found was many serial killers are arrogant narcissists at heart. They follow a pattern so that they're immediately recognizable to the press. Um, most of them aren't afraid to brag publicly. They have a desire to like hurt people, stuff like that. And he had a desire to heart at, at a young age. He had a desire to hang up dogs and cats. He yeah. always had like sexual desires for a woman, and he just really just, he really exhibited traits of a serial killer. Like, he also had a need for dominance over females, a really big need for attention, and then back to the animals. Like, all these things were basically basically very common things with serial killers, like narcissism, need for, yeah. like, he wanted the public to know it was him. He had an urge to hurt people. Like, he, he just, he was a messed up guy, you know? Yeah, he just, he just really wanted attention in what everything he did. Yeah, did you did you see um 
did you find how, how he like he actually put a letter in the public library book where he took responsibility for killing the Otero family? Did you did you see that? I did not. No. So basically, what happened was like he put a letter in the library, which public library book. I think it ended up in the newspaper actually and the letter the letter was basically like a poorly written note so the authorities had some idea of who they were dealing with but not like they weren't positive who it was he wrote yeah. it's hard to control myself you probably call me psychotic with sexual perversion and that's he was warning them that he would strike again he also said the code words for me will be bind them torture them and kill them btk that's how he became a suspect, basically. Yeah, like that's yeah. how he was getting caught because he he told them that was his method, and they they saw a pattern in these murders in the in the area, and they basically knew they were like, okay, this is our guy. So yeah, he, he almost he almost led to his like own capture. Like um, it it said like he was uh, he started to do like his own drops that like include his like handwritten accounts of like killing. Yeah, and he also pictures of like the actual acts. And like, like some people think like they had a purpose, and like so he could confess like crimes in front of a court and like take credit for all his actions, like going back to like he just wants that attention. And I guess like the more people in a courtroom that see like that he was the actual killer, the more he like becomes happier, just whatever the yeah uh, he wanted. You know, what do you mean by drops? Like he would leave like. Yeah, so he, he he'd like leave um like an envelope or like a like a paper with like with uh handwritten accounts of uh-huh. like like what he did, like who it was and like pictures of him actually like doing the acts of like raping. And, so do you think that's part of like his narcissism like what like his need for attention like do you do you think yeah. that's why he was doing these things or Yeah, d- definitely and like just uh, uh like with the narcissism and like so he could take credit for it. So like, there's like pictures of like, like what happened, and so there's like no doubt that he wasn't the person that did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, what I found was like, basically, like there was no witness testimony. The only um, the only actual forensic evidence they found was, I believe, let me go back to it. Um, it was in Vicky Wajiri. They found whenever he broke into her apartment and strangled her, they found like DNA evidence of BTK under her fingernails, and that was basically yeah. the only like hardcore actual forensic evidence they had. But yeah. the real reason that BTK became a suspect was whenever he um he did he posted that thing in the public library that ended up in the newspaper where he was like he was warning them, saying um how he was going to bind, torture, and kill everything like that yeah. so th- that was that's how he became a prime suspect and he was yeah like yeah. you said he left behind the pictures of victims he killed so basically after all these events like the the police sort of knew they sort of knew who they were dealing with and got like a, a pretty good idea right. and then after going on the run of killing um for 30 years with 10 victims he was caught he uh he was actually sentenced to serve 175 years to life in prison for the murders of 10 people and he got no parole. So like, basically like the judge had no remorse for him, obviously because of uh, how bad of a person he was. Like obviously he killed 10 people and um, 
basically what what gave him up was the the pictures he dropped and the letter to the newspaper in the yeah. library. So that that basically gave him away. I think he was like honestly, I think he was trying to get caught because he was tired of like hiding and he really wanted people to know like who he was so he could get like yeah. the recognition, do you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, he really led to his own capture and like he dug a hole for himself almost like pretty much on purpose just like you said take all the credit and stuff. Yeah, I really think that just shows his true narcissism. He was he was a horrible guy, but he deserved it though. He got 175 years to life, so he's still in jail right now, actually. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. What a what a horrible guy. Yeah. yeah and, all right. That's that's pretty much it. That's all I got. Thank you guys uh, for lis- listening in to our podcast about uh, BTK here today. We'll see you guys later. Thank you, Brandon.